0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Bury the Hatchet. I'm your host, Brian Enstein. You know, tackling touchy subjects in the right way is a special skill, and frankly, not everybody has it. But the inability to understand people we disagree with is tearing apart our communities, our friendships, and our families. But we can do better. We must do better. If you're ready to talk about hard things without the hard feelings... Join me as we rediscover the lost arts of listening and reconciliation. Join me as we learn to bury the hatchet. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bury the Hatchet. You know, there's lots of books I've read and movies that I've seen that kind of encapsulate this idea of burying hatchets and reconciling with one's enemies. But there's one that I think does it in a really special and unique way, and that's Dances with Wolves. If you've never seen Dances with Wolves, beware, very, very minor spoilers ahead. And there's a lot to unpack about this movie, and I'm not going to dive too deeply into it, but the Cliff Notes version of this story is a Lieutenant uh, John Dunbar uh, in during the American Civil War, who, by his own request, he was assigned to Fort Sedgwick uh, in in present-day Colorado at the time just absolute middle of nowhere um and the movie centers around his interactions with the local indian tribes now presumably the purpose of the fort is to establish a, a base a military presence for the united states in you know what at the time to them was was total wilderness and when he gets there uh dunbar has this this fascination with with the native people and and he wants to learn more about them but at the time but at the same time he's also kind of scared of them because he knows almost nothing about them aside from the sort of fanciful and embellished stories that he's heard and and it kind of the, the meat of the story is him sort of abandoning a lot of his preconceived sort of vague notions and really getting to know the people as individual people and he finds out that they're not only different from what he expected but that they're different from each other that they have unique personalities unique traits unique stories and histories um, that make for a really colorful and unique cast of characters and it's really it it's really a, a powerful um there's a really powerful uh human element to this story that's always really kind kind of stuck with me, and and I think that's a really important idea that when whenever there is whenever we have in our mind sort of this monolithic idea of a group of people, whether it's a political faction that we can't stand, or a religious faction that we can't stand, or fans of a particular franchise that we can't stand, you know, whatever it is. It's important to realize that even if we can't see the differences between those people, they are different and unique. It's crucial to recognize that any group of people is still made up of people with their unique hopes, dreams, desires, and perspectives and stories to tell. And this is true today for any group of people. And sometimes, at least in the United States, there is no group of people that is more roundly vilified and sort of lumped together into a homogeneous monolithic whole than are big corporations and the people who work there. You hear this all the time: big oil, big pharma, big tech, uh, big agriculture here in, in in Iowa, where I grew up. Um, all of these things and it, 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 those phrases: big oil, big tech, big corporate, whatever, is meant to convey a very large, monolithic, impersonal entity. But we know that that's not the case, that any group of people is going to be made up of individuals, unique individuals. So I thought today that we should dive into that. I reached out to a gentleman by the name of Derek Krieg, who works in the petroleum industry uh, in, in Colorado. In fact, he, he runs a website and a podcast called Oilfield Basics, dedicated to providing information and and and, and really it's 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 an outreach to 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 young people who may be interested in petroleum and in the petroleum industry kind of learning how it works um so i thought who who better to reach out to than somebody who is in the business of of communication about petroleum so derek was generous enough to offer me an interview and i thought this is great let's dive in and and take a look at you know at least one example of a human being working in the petroleum industry, what it's like, what he's like, and see what we can learn. And remember, if you want to see the oil industry curtailed for economic or political or environmental reasons, the purpose here is not to change your mind on that. The purpose is simply to temper whatever your perspective is with an understanding of the perspective of somebody else who sees things differently than you, because they have different experiences than you. And this holds true for all of our discussions here on Bury the Hatchet. Whatever your opinion is on anything, your perspective, and in turn, your arguments, are strengthened by the additional wisdom and knowledge that you gain from putting through the sincere effort to see things honestly through another person's point of view. So without further ado... Let's hear from Derek Krieg of Oilfield Basics, who I have with me here, Derek Craig, the president and co-founder of Oilfield Basics. Derek, thanks for joining us on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I like what you're doing here. I'm glad to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, I I like it too. (laughs) Uh, Let me... (laughs) Let me just ask you uh first real quick Craig or excuse me Derek we always want to start with your personal story. Um so tell me about you know how obviously you you work in the the petroleum industry. Um tell us a little bit about kind of how you got there, what your educational background is, what got you interested in the industry and uh how you got to to where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in the Ohio River Valley, so southeastern Ohio. So it's a very rich uh, history of oil and gas and so I guess I you know I've always had it around me the entire time I was growing up. Never really paid any attention to it at all um up until about high school. <laughs> but always kind of been around it. Um we even had some some wells on my uh, family's property and all around all around us and like I said like, just never really paid much attention to it and then Whenever I was in high school, I went post-secondary, which basically just meant that you could take some college classes in person at a local um, college branch. And so I did that and then basically figured out that, hey, I really like engineering. (laughs) So basically just decided to kind of uh, trample down that route and and do some job shadowing, which is always something I recommend for any students out there who are trying to decide what career path to take up. Definitely uh, job shadowing shadowing is about as insightful uh, as you can get. Uh, and did different perspective careers. So I did that. I shadowed a couple different types of engineers. And uh, really, the, the second type I uh, shadowed was a uh, petroleum engineer. And there it's, uh, it's definitely kind of more of a specialized form of engineering. But uh, there's a, a college not too far from where I grew up that has it, uh, that offers it. And so I had a handful of mutual friends and, and whatnot that um, kind of went into this. And so I tracked one of them down and, and shadowed them and uh, basically just got hooked <laughs> right away um as soon as uh, i shadowed them and um they took me out to an active drilling site and uh like i said i was just hooked from from day one then uh, it's just such a such a very unique um job field to be in and definitely a very uh, unique form of engineering and definitely has its culture of its own and a very unique set of challenges uh so just a very uh, Interesting field to to go into. So basically, from then on, I knew I wanted to go into it, and then everything around me just started to to wake up to me in a sense. So uh, all the wells that were around me, and all the different companies and producers, and you know that all just started to uh, become of, of large interest to me. So uh, basically, just from that point on, we're just very interested in it, and always trying to track down and any any local activity like new drilling and whatnot, and uh, an interesting part of my background, too, is I've, I kind of saw the transition into the unconventional shell place, uh, which is probably an important thing to mention for just for the context of this podcast. So I grew up around a lot of conventional kind of uh, smaller wells, you know, just real low key. And then I uh, got to see a lot of the, you know, the hydraulic fracturing kind of movement as probably what most people recognize it as kind of move into my area. And uh, so I kind of got to see all that firsthand and, and be, you know and, and follow it and then uh, ultimately went to school for it. And Four years later, graduated in it and worked with a couple um, larger, notable companies in the industry and then um, got a job uh, full-time out of college. And and now I'm in Denver, Colorado, which is a very uh, interesting place to be with oil and gas for sure. (laughs) So uh, yeah, that that pretty much lands me where I'm at now and then started Oilful Basics along the way, uh, which is a company that's basically aimed at uh, helping uh, spread educational opportunities uh, about the industry uh, to people who are looking to get into it or even just some general community members. So uh, yeah, that's kind of a <laughs> in a nutshell, I guess.
0: Awesome. That's perfect. Um let me let me ask you real quick. You said that, you know, from your first exposure to the petroleum industry you were hooked. What do you think it is about this yeah. industry, especially that that latched onto you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just it's for it's just so interesting. Um for one, you know, it differs in a lot of different types of engineering in the sense that one of the things that I was looking for um, out of engineering was a really good mix of kind of field versus office kind of work. I'm more of a hands-on kind of person. (laughs) I'm not uh, one that enjoys just sitting behind the computer the entire time and, you know, or just cranking on equations or anything like that. I wanted a form of engineering that was more hands-on, more kind of project management in a sense. Um, And so one of the things I really liked about it is, you know, there's definitely a lot of opportunities for that. Uh, A lot of the opportunity, you know, a lot of everything we do is, you know, in in the field and um, on active active, uh, oil and gas sites. So, but I guess the the really interesting thing that hooked me is just that everything we do, uh, we we don't see. Uh, we don't see um, you know seven thousand feet down uh, where we're drilling. But you know we're seven thousand feet out, seven thousand feet down below our feet, and maybe ten thousand feet out horizontally from that point. <laughs> so we might have you know we're controlling a, a bit in a well that reaches thousand you know miles away from where we are, and it's all you know underground. And so just the science and the technology behind doing that and, and, you know, and having this sort of development is just so appealing. And it's just like, there's always a new challenge uh, to solve and, and some, always something to get better at. And, and you know, and you just have the, you know, the culture around it is very interesting too. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of all those things combined.
0: Speak speak to that culture a little bit, if, if you could. What do you think is unique about the, the culture of, of the petroleum industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, so embedded in its roots is, you know, the fact that we are, Producing something every day that, whether or not someone wants to admit it, uh, they do rely on. <laughs> Any American uh, definitely relies on it. it. It's literally found in in everything around us. Um, and, and you can also see too, like um, you know, the countries that don't have it, um, the, the differences in, in in their lifestyles and their quality of life and everything. And you know, they, they strive to to get some of these resources. If they don't have it even in their region or can't develop it uh, regionally. So it's definitely, that definitely plays into the culture. That's definitely the foundation of the culture, you know, that we go to work every day and are hoping to, you know, uh, extract a resource and put it to use um, that for something that all of our our families and, you know, we all rely on um, to whatever extent uh, in our daily lives. But, you know, aside from that, I mean, culturally, you know, there's definitely, (laughs) it's definitely kind of a a rougher culture to some extent uh, in the field. Any kind of like manufacturing or blue collar, you know, field, you know, there's definitely a strong culture around any of that. <laughs> and so that's always interesting. It's, it's fun to, to be around the, the field guys and, and hear all their stories. And, you know, and, and we've, if you look at where we've come, and so I'm, I'm relatively new to in the industry. Um, I, I'm young. I'm in my um, younger 20s. <laughs> so like I guess I just graduated about a year ago. Um, so I'm pretty fresh to it. But just hearing the, the stories of, you know, how our industry has progressed over the last even 10 years. Um, how the, the standards of everything that we do, how, how that's, you know, come a long ways and if you go clear back in, you know, the history of what we, what, how the industry started, you know, before like when everything was, was completely new um, you can even go back to where oil was basically a waste product, like something that people <laughs> skimmed off to get to the, you know, there's one of the salt water and it was like a nuisance. And uh, there's just such an interesting industry um, history uh, to the industry also to, to see how that plays out over the years. And then how, uh, you know, with, with regulation and, and greater science and technology, how our industry has evolved, um, over the last, you know, a hundred years, you know, but even, even shorter than that, uh, even over the last 10 years, if you talk to people who've, uh, been in a little bit longer than me, uh, they'll tell you the same thing.
0: You, you said earlier that, uh, that Denver was an interesting place to be <laughs> for the, for a yeah. petroleum engineer. <laughs> for I, sure. I, I'm not sure. I'm not in petroleum. I've never lived in Denver. Um and and again I don't I don't want to pick on the residents of Denver, but can you can you explain that a You're little right. bit <laughs> what what makes that interesting? Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most of it basically comes down if you look at the areas like the, the large oil and gas plays within the United States, uh, a lot of them tend to be in more rural areas, um, just very mineral rich areas, so like like Ohio River Valley, where I grew up, I mean, you can find all kinds of stuff there. It's not just oil and gas, like it's very mineral rich. And it's also like that out here in uh, Wyoming, kind of the same way. Uh, Colorado definitely has a lot. Of- so, and, and, and of course, Texas. So if you look at kind of the areas where a lot of the oil and gas development takes place, um, it's going to be more so uh, <laughs> more rural, uh, a little bit more conservative and stuff. So typically, you don't have as many people around it, uh, for one, and also the politics look a little bit different, too. So uh, whenever you start developing a play that is in a very populated area, uh, it definitely kind of changes the game in the sense that uh, you just have more and more you know, people that you're working around. And uh, so it, it makes the operations a little bit uh, different in, in, a, in a good way, uh, definitely holds us to. Uh, making sure that everything we're doing is, is to the highest standards. <laughs> you know, obviously, want to protect everybody around us and everything because it is at the end of the day it is an industrial activity, uh, and there's always risks uh, with industrial activities, no matter uh, what <laughs> industry you're in or whatever you're trying to do. Uh, there's always risks, and uh, it's just a very interesting place to to, to be when you've got um, a lot of you know you've got a lot of uh, neighborhoods that are being built on top of wells that have been here for 50, 60, 100 years, um, you know, and, and so uh, it's not also, it's not just the, the, um, the aspect that oil and gas is trying to develop new resources and they're coming closer to neighborhoods, but you've got a lot of neighborhoods that are also growing uh, to be on top of uh, old oil fields. Um, so existing wells, you know, and there's, so that adds a, a lot of interesting dynamics uh, to, to the name of the game.
0: Are there, it, Along those same lines of you know wanting to mm-hmm. to be a good member of the community and to pr- protect the community that you're living in from you know some of the risks of you know I- inherent in any yeah. industrial project, um, are there are there things about petroleum or things about projects that you've worked on that are concerning areas that you you want to improve in terms of mm-hmm. environmental protection? I mean, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, think like you mentioned hydraulic fracking earlier and just fossil fuels in general have mm-hmm. become a really hot button issue lately, as I'm sure you're aware.
1: Right, yeah, uh, for sure. Just, just
0: speak to <laughs> us a little bit about that. I mean, what, obviously you're you're aware of the debate that rages around what it is that you do. Um yeah. are, do does mm-hmm. any uh, any of the environmental things concern you and how do you how do you address that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean so the biggest thing, um well so well, I guess let's let's start. Uh, downhole so the the a lot of the the common concerns um at least you know especially if you look kind of um to the eastern side of the country uh, Pennsylvania in that area and, and we're really uh, the the film gasland kind of took root and started <laughs> you know a lot of the concerns have kind of lied around you know uh downhole contaminations like water resources resources and stuff like that um that doesn't concern me um that's definitely something that is very well protected against. Um, so I would say that my biggest focus and, um, concern, uh, would be very much with an alignment with what we see the industry trying to tackle a lot of right now, uh, in terms which was, which, which is emissions. And so, you know, the, we've heard a lot about flaring over the last decade, right? So, um, at, you know, as the, the shell place popped up and became more heavily developed and, um, you know we, we drill these monstrous wells um, in a lot in different plays around the united states they' they're primarily after the oil um, so the associated gas um, to some extent can be viewed as kind of a a byproduct uh, kind of an unwanted byproduct. Um, it might not be economical to recover it and that largely comes down to whether or not there's a pipeline uh, in place uh, local to the well uh, that, that it can be connected into and sold into so uh, what happens, what has happened over the last couple of years, we've got a lot of, uh, flaring, uh, especially in, in, some, um, uh, some States more than others. Um, uh, but what we've seen over the last couple of years is, is companies really stepping up to, to reduce that. Uh, we've also seen some re- uh, legislative action that has also, um, served to, to help, uh, push our industry towards, uh, mitigating that. And, uh, so now we see more, uh, pipelines coming to more, more remote areas and, uh, just a greater pipeline takeaway and, um, Some projects not even being done uh, that would require uh, volumes of gas to be flared. And so we're definitely seeing a bit of a a response and a shift in our industry um, to obviously um, prevent any emissions. So whether it's uh, flaring of methane or even the direct release of methane, which is pretty rare, um, that's not something that, uh, first off, that's incredibly dangerous and combustible. (laughs) So if we're just releasing, uh, just venting uh, methane, uh, that's very dangerous uh, to our operations as well. So... Uh, most of the time it's you're gonna see it being flared, uh a vast majority of the time. So uh we're definitely seeing a good push in our industry to to reduce those and, and we've even com- uh, seen companies come out uh to say that, you know, zero is their is their target, uh zero um flaring, uh you know, routine flaring is typically how they label it. So there's there's gonna be times when we have to uh literally, uh, operationally there's there's a couple of times, you know, that we have to relieve pressure. Um and that's we don't have much of a way around that. Um but definitely, in terms of routine flaring, uh, like I said, just because the pipeline isn't there, or whatever, uh, a lot of those uh, those cases are are beginning to to go away, um, and that's you know a lot of larger companies um, stepping up and saying that uh, this isn't acceptable anymore, and we're going to work to to mitigate that. So uh, I would say that that's uh, probably the the most common um, and, and most pressing uh, matter in terms of an environmental standpoint of of what things we're we're trying to get to get better at uh, right now. My yeah, that would be my my biggest push is, is emissions and and that like I said, that's something that we see companies um, doing more and more to to guard against and also you know implementing systems and and whatnot to to capture any fugitive emissions that we might have.
0: So in a, in addition to making your own operations as as safe and as clean as possible, I I know just mm-hmm. from sort of paying attention to the conversation that there's been a big push lately, especially during the last, um, you know, uh, coming up to this election cycle, there's been a a lot of talk and a lot of push towards, you know, trying to move our country off of fossil fuels entirely. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, my, I guess my, obviously that would not be good for the industry that you work in. (laughs) I would put, that would put you out of a job. Um, I, can you? I mean, can you just speak a little bit to that? I mean, well, obviously, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. from, an economic, from an economic point of view, you're going to say, well, that's that's not something that would be good for us. But, I mean, does does the idea of you know completely eliminating carbon emissions from the whole mm-hmm. I, from, from the whole society and not just from your industry is that something that you think about? Um, and is is do do you understand what I'm saying? Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: yeah there's, there's a couple of different points of thing I can bring out on this so i mean um first off you know in terms of the uh, I, I'm not at all against uh renewable energy i think hundred percent we should should run towards that um I, you know I do believe in climate change <laughs> um you know so anything we can do to reduce emissions of of any type any type you know sounds like that would be the thing we would want to do <laughs> regardless of industry um you know i think the jobs and stuff you know i'm you know, what, what I imagine in terms of a, a transition is not so much uh, a forceful transition. Like we're trying to, like, like a lot of politicians and, you know, activists want to push towards. I don't, I don't see how that would be at all feasible um, for, for one, the economic side, but then also um, kind of the, the supply chain side. You know, a lot of our, you know, our lifestyle still very much depends on uh, the hydrocarbons. You know, it might not just be just, uh, you know, gasoline Right. But, you know, if we, even if we move to electric cars, most of our electricity in the United States is generated from natural gas now. Um, so we've, we've got a lot of things to to overcome there on a the supply chain side. And even like you look at, you know, like at medicine and stuff um, and all the, the petrochemical kind of feedstock, you know, that goes into a bunch of different manufacturing uh, products and, you know, even for our health system and stuff. So there's a lot of things that would have to change. I, I do not view it any way, shape or form as <laughs> likely or even possible that we could just do a sudden kind of. Uh, legislative action that just shuts down the industry and forces us to go into uh, use more of the the renewable resources. I think that's something that uh, the economics and and the demand will ultimately drive. Um, so you know, what, as soon as it becomes better for us to get our energy or more economic, you know, for the solar, you know, solar farms and for the wind farms and everything to to really power us. And that remember, um, one thing that I like to really tell people is that. Uh, energy is not just ele- electricity uh, a lot of times we think about you know if we could just have everything you know generate le- like so like the solar and the wind you know and generate electricity um, that's just part of energy in a sense so you know you think about all the uh the transportation uh you know that that might require a, a different type of, of fuel source than than just electricity and what electricity could provide you know but as soon as the the technology there um to where we can do more stuff with batteries. And where the economics really justify that type of a system, I think that's when we'll see the transition uh, and the shift kind of take off. Um, another thing to realize in terms of the renewable right now, that's that's holding that, that transition back. From my perspective, is the fact that you know whenever we do have, you know whenever you do build a city or something that that is uh, being run partially off of renewables, um, you have to have some form of a renewable um, system to back that up typically. So you're not going to see just a, a, a city uh, only powered by <laughs> solar or wind uh, because that's intermittent. And, and, and so you're going to have, you know, unless the battery thing takes off, but or it really gets us into a different spot. But all those renewable systems are going to be backed up by uh, systems uh, that are powered by the non-renewables. Um, So that's one of the things that adds to the cost. So if you just look at the cost of, you know, implementing a solar farm or something like that, um, just keep that in mind too, that it also has to be part of that system um, to to make, to to have, you know, so you don't have uh, brownouts and you don't have uh, the electricity going off, you know, uh, different different times of the day. Um, The other thing I'll mention too, in terms of just shutting down um, our production in the US, um, keep in mind too, that that's not, There's all you know demand in in other parts of the world also, and so if you're looking at climate change or anything from you know a perspective of the world, which is really what any scale is going to have to be looked at on if you want to make a difference, not just one country. um, You know, there's a lot of demand in other countries that are are, you're still um, there's still a lot of demand for um, you know the oil and gas also. And one thing that I would like to impress upon any listeners is is to consider too. Uh, when you look at the standards by which uh, we produce oil and gas in the United States and compare that to other countries, um, I've seen some horrific stuff out of other countries uh, in terms of production. So um, if you suddenly would do a legislative action or something that bans oil and gas in the United States, first off, like I said already, like our systems aren't ready for that shock. Uh, there's still a lot of things that uh, are produced out of oil and gas. So we'd have to go to other countries to get that, You know, at least until everything kind of shifts to where we can produce it uh, through other means. But... So then we would be getting uh, oil and gas being for, produced from other countries, which are going to be way less uh, clean. And if you look at the standards by which we, um, the industry has, has you know has has come to 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 realize over the last couple of years, I think it's it's a vast difference um, from some other countries that would be taking our production if we didn't produce it.
0: Thank Sorry, you. that was a bit of
1: a rant. <laughs> no, hopefully I, that I, answered your question. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I invited, I invited you here so that people didn't have to listen to me talk about it. <laughs> um, well, thank you for for sharing all of that with us. Uh, two two last questions I wanted to, I wanted to ask you here, real quick, Derek. Yeah. Um, one 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 of the other, in fact, probably the biggest criticism of the oil industry generally that I hear um, mm-hmm. is criticism of. Uh, you know you you hear it all the time big oil buying out government or buying out politicians that obviously as you said it is mm-hmm. a very big industry it uh, petroleum mm-hmm. uh, oil natural gas are used for lots of things besides fuel um so it, involved in everything pretty much everything that we have depends on those hydrocarbons of some in, in some way or another and so with that comes a lot of influence comes a lot of money obviously um and there's there's concerns that I hear I hear people voice all the time that that that, that can be a, a corrupting influence politically speaking. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm obviously not going to accuse you of any wrongdoing, but you, you we you know we've talked here today, and you seem to be concerned about more mm-hmm. than simply the bottom line. So where where do you think that public perception comes from? Um, do you think it's slightly justified? Not at all. Uh, and what, if anything, do you think um, the the industry can do to to correct that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so this is, you know, I don't want to go too far outside of, you know, what I've seen or be exposed to. And uh, so definitely like on the, you know, um, lobbying, you know, I, I have no experience or really even knowledge um, to that regard. But what I can do is maybe add a little bit of context. Um, so, I mean, first off, you know, in terms of... Like I suppose, like the, the lobbying or trying to get information or influence out of politicians or uh, governments to allow us to continue to continue operations or, or whatever uh, be the case. Um, the the biggest thing um, that that I would say contextually is uh, who else would would advocate for our industry. Um, so, and we see this even too, like whenever, so like, like gasoline came I don't know, I don't know if you've seen it, but basically it's, it's a big, uh, anti-industry, uh, video sh- saying that, you know, we, a company came in and, um, contaminated everybody's drinking water and you can light it on, on fire and everything. Um, what came out of that was a response, um. Uh, from oil, uh, multiple oil and gas companies um, uh, that produce another film, and then of course you know there's there's bias in, in both films, but ultimately it comes down to who else would produce a movie <laughs> or who else is going to stand up for uh, this industry other than ourselves, and and you know even if someone does it kind of on an individual basis, you know the voices of you know activists and people who are concerned maybe aren't as uh, educated on the exact sciences of what we do and the protections that we have in place, and you know, truly understand our operations, um, you know, people who uh, maybe even speak out independently, you know, are going to be attacked <laughs> um, from people who 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 see it differently, also too. So, really, the only voice we have um, for oil and gas is our own, um, and I think maybe that's the, really the only context I can add to to that conversation. Um, but it is very unfortunate that. Um, A lot of, you know, general community members and stuff just don't uh, fully understand what we do. Um, And a lot of that is just because we don't really talk about it. We don't really talk about um, how much we do know, how much science is behind everything that we do. Um, And and I think that's something that is beginning to change um, over the last couple of years. There's more initiatives from a uh, larger companies to, to really kind of um, add some educational program and context to, you know to local communities you'll see them at like uh, different fairs and, and whatnot maybe with little kind of discovery booths or whatever and um, so there's trying to be an increased uh, engagement among the, the community there and a little bit more education done um but i'd say that that's kind of the the context i could kind of add to to that that case i'm not sure of any more uh, specifics uh, really beyond that
0: great thank you and and in in that same vein of sort of public education about it. Can you tell us a little bit about oil field basics? Tell us about what you do for those who may be interested, who want to get involved in petroleum and and like what you do and are interested in learning more.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, when I was in college, uh, basically kind of had this this realization, too, that there's no good place to go um, to get kind of a fundamental education uh, about whatever topic you 're looking for in the oil and gas industry, and so kind of set out to change that and uh, started a company with another uh, one of my um, petroleum engineering uh, classmates and um, basically 're just trying to create a hub you know that that people can go to, to to learn you know and ask their questions and to learn and and so we 've done you know um, myself and my co founder actually created a course that's um, very much it 's kind of like a one hundred one uh, just ties together everything from uh, the permitting and the thought of a well, you know, and it's like why we decide to drill where we where we do um, even a little bit of the formation of oil and gas and why some areas have it and why some don't all the way down through the operation. So people who, who would take it would really get a better understanding of, OK, this is how we we drill well. Uh, these are the protections that are in place. This is um, how we know where we're at and how we steer the bit, you know, when we're 20,000 feet away from from our feet <laughs> and um, you know, all the way down through, you know, what hydraulic factoring actually is. Uh, how we do it, what tools we use, uh, what technologies we have, all the way down to the production of the well and even uh, plugging uh, and abandoning the well uh, later in its life. So really try to create that, that, that resource for, for people who are just coming into the industry who might be interested in it from a fundamental level and just tying it all together. You can find different YouTube videos, you know, about uh, how wells uh, drilled or what hydraulic fracturing is. Uh, it's kind of a wild card as to what you're going to get. Um, another part of it too is a lot of those resources end up being outdated pretty quick. Um, so some of the popular ones might say, you know, we, we might take a, a month to drill a 3000 foot lateral one in reality. And of course, it differs every basin. But uh, we're very much to the point now where we can drill, you know, <laughs> 10,000 foot lateral in a couple of days, uh, you know, and uh, like the entire well. So uh, the technology and the times have definitely uh, changed and become more advanced. And so things become out of date uh, quickly. So that's kind of the, the reason for the hub and everything that we do, and of course we also do a podcast too. Um, so I host a podcast where we talk to different people across our industry, and they tell us about you know the, their particular part of the industry, what they do, um, what you know what their jobs like, um, the different technologies that they have a part of, you know how they work. Uh, so it really just adds a lot of perspective into all these little tiny different intricacies of our industry, which is huge. And um, there's so many different parts to talk about. Um, and then we also do um, some video blogs too. So if someone, you know, if you have students, I don't know who listens to your podcast, but you have students listening. Uh, we definitely try to do some videos on petroleum engineering and kind of what to expect. And uh, something that's something that I try to put out more on just because again, there's no good content <laughs> for people who are looking to go into petroleum engineering. It's also, it's usually kind of the, the engineering that you don't want to say that you are <laughs> because ultimately, you know, just immediately evokes uh, people's different opinions, and they might suddenly think you're an awful person. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, just trying to put out some good content out there for, for people to really realize what it is and, and what we do.
0: And what what is that website where where your courses can be found?
1: Yeah, it's it's just oilfoodbasics.com.
0: Okay, and what you you also mentioned a podcast? What it yeah, what is the so name, that's the, the name uh, of it, well, and where where is where can it be found? Yeah. Yeah, you should be able to
1: find it um, on any of the the main podcasting uh, places. <laughs> so uh, you, even Spotify, uh, Amazon, Google, everywhere, um, and you can also find it on our website too. But it's called the Oil Food Basics Discover Podcast. So yeah, and great. You, and you, like I said, you can find that on our website and uh, probably your your favorite podcasting app at this point too.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, Derek, last question I'm going to ask you here, and, and then I'll I'll let you go. Um, this is the last question we ask of all of our guests. What is one thing that you wish people better understood about the petroleum industry and about people like you who work there?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. so I, mean, I'll, I guess my answer to that would be, you know that that we are people too. Um, you know, I've I've always lived in you know the neighborhoods uh, that you know growing up, I always lived around oil, and so I always got to see it. Um, and then also too, like now that I'm in it, you know, I've always lived in neighborhoods that are, you know, that it's in, um, and, and we're just people and, and we live in the neighborhoods that, you know, we're producing from a lot of the time. And, uh, so we wouldn't do something or be a part of something that, you know, where we're actively contaminating or like just destroying our, you know, our communities and, you and, and our, lo- you know, the local lands and it's, it's like, we're, we're people too. We live in the same communities, uh, and, and just, just, just know that, <laughs> that we're people too. And, um, you know, like. Like I said, so I mean, we're, we're stewards of the earth also. I mean, you're always going to have rough characters in any industry, uh, but for the most part, I mean, every, everybody's got a, a pretty good heart. We're not out there to seek to destroy. We're out there to, to supply what we need to, for our lifestyles and, and support our lifestyles here in the United States and even the world.
0: Great. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Derek Craig, the president and co-founder of Oilfield basics. Uh, really appreciate your insight and really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks a lot.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of Bury the Hatchet. I hope you've learned something today to help you better understand the people in your life, especially those you disagree with. For suggestions or questions about the show, shoot me an email at podcastburythehatchet at gmail.com. Again, that's podcastburythehatchet at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.